Hi, and welcome to Shadow Talk's weekly intelligence summary track, where our team of analysts dive into the top threat intelligence stories each week. To read their full findings and analysis, make sure to visit resources.digitalshadows.com. Now here's your host, Harrison Van Riper. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Harrison Van Riper, back again for another weekly intelligence summary update. Uh, we made it. Episode one launched last week, and we've been seeing a pretty good listener uh, statistics so far. Um, so yeah, so that's good. So Alex, you were on last week. And yes, I was. Joining I'm me again. Feeling a bit better this week, so. Yeah, we're neither, of us, good. Are, neither of us are no longer sick, so. I mean, you did make me sick, but I'm letting it slide. It's debatable, yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so one thing that I did want to mention uh, that I didn't do last week before we started that I 100% should have, um, I wanted to recognize my co-producer for this podcast uh, and actually the intro, intro voice for, for the show, uh, Anna Alessandra, who put in a lot of hours and has put up with a lot of my stupid questions and, you know, just put a lot of soul into this So uh, to try and get this track ready to go for 2019. So I just wanted to give her a little little shout out there. So yes, so as I said, with me this week is Alex uh, Giraku back again, uh, back to 100%, I'm, yes. I'm guessing. Um, yeah, so Alex wrote the Insum this week, so we'll be looking at him for a rundown of the main story. Also joining us is Philip Doherty. Philly D, how is it going? <laughs> Not too bad. Thanks for very, very, very much for having me on. Yeah, of course. So Phil is a strategic intelligence analyst, as is Alex. Uh, and he's based out of our London office. And when Alex and I got to travel to London last year, we met Phil for the first time. And I think it's safe to say that we're all pretty much best friends now. I think that's fair to say, right, Phil? That is fair. That's fair. <laughs> and, you know, it, that happens after a lot of late nights. McDonald's. McDonald's especially. <laughs> Definitely McDonald's. <laughs> that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, yes. Yeah, so we'll leave that for a different time. Um, so anyway, enough, enough about our shenanigans. Uh, Alex, talk to me about our main story this week. So the main story this week combines two separate incidents that we saw occur over the past week. So both of them involved unrelated cyber attacks against two different companies, the first of which targeted an Italian energy contractor, Technimont. And the second targeted a, um, a Chilean ATM network operator called Red Bank. So the first attack against Technomont was attributed to a Chinese organized crime group. And the second one targeting Red Bank after some research was uh, attributed to the North Korea Lazarus group, which is a pretty high profile group. We've done a lot of research on them. They're very well known. And what was interesting about these two attacks is even though they were unrelated, they both exploited culturally specific social engineering lures to help, um, to help facilitate those large-scale thefts. Now, the attack against Technomont, um, the cyber criminal group stole about $19 million from an Indian branch of the company. And what they did was that they, they used business email compromise and some other techniques to impersonate several of the company's executives in addition to a purported Swiss-based lawyer. And so they coordinated emails, they went on conference calls with the managers at the company, and they managed to convince them to do three separate transactions before they finally got caught, and that totaled to about 19 million. And the second attack against Red Bank, um, the threat actors, same, similar, they communicated via video and email. They convinced an employee there over LinkedIn to apply for a job. And so over the Skype conversations, they managed to convince him to install a malicious payload on the company network. And while that was successful, 
Um, the company reportedly mitigated the attack before it was able to cause any significant damages. And so what was, what's interesting is that they both use these cultural, culturally specific lures to help promote their attack and make it more successful. This, you know, this in some article is mainly about comparing the two attacks, right? And I think what's interesting that you, know, you kind of highlighted already was the fact that they use these cultural cues. So can you tell me a little bit more about like what it was specifically that they were doing and why, why this is a little bit different than what we've seen previously? So for the attack against the Italian company, so the Indian branch, the, uh, the attackers, they used a name of a Swiss lawyer, allegedly called Luigi Corradi, who is not an actual Swiss lawyer. That's actually the name of a, a well-known early 20th century Italian engineer. But because they were targeting individuals in India who might not be as aware as someone based in Italy would be to that kind of cultural persona, mm. Uh, it wouldn't have raised the same red flags it would have if they targeted the main facilities. And so they were likely well aware that that was going to happen the way it did. And so both of these attacks likely uh, required significant reconnaissance and time investment. And so it shows that these groups are very much invested in coordinating these types of attacks and kind of being aware of these cultural and geographic boundaries and exploiting them in a way. If somebody had just taken that name and popped it into Google, would that have come up? The fact that it was like an Italian 20th century person? Yeah. So it, it, he seems to be pretty well known throughout Italy. If you look at Wikipedia, there's only one article and that is in Italian. And the article is pretty fleshed out, but there's no equivalent in, in other languages. So it looks to be pretty focused towards mm -hmm. the, the Italian crowd. So, so even if you had done like a little bit of due diligence on that? If you had Googled it, yeah, you, you'd have found out that this name, I mean, it could have been a coincidence if sure. there was an actual Swiss lawyer with the same name, but likely not. Sure, sure. And so for the attack against Red Bank, which was allegedly coordinated by Lazarus Group, they similarly had physical resources there on the ground in Chile. So they managed to coordinate with an individual there who was able to speak native Spanish and that really helped them out with those voice communications with the uh, the Red Bank employee. It makes that seem more legitimate, the job offering. It likely is trying to build this element of trust that would help them succeed in their attack. So what is kind of the main point that you wanted to draw out in this article? So the, the main point is that these kinds of sophisticated and organized threat groups are probably going to continue to use these specific culturally relevant uh, social engineering lures to help facilitate this kind of theft and, and these fraud operations. So instead of ignoring these boundaries, they're showing that they're willing to work around them and incorporate them into their attacks and make them greater chance of succeeding. And what can we expect kind of moving forward? Is this something that you think we'll see a lot of or what do you think? So I, I definitely think so, especially if you're looking at Lazarus Group, who's shown a continuous interest in the Latin American region in specific. So the fact that they're willing to coordinate with actual human resources there on the ground means that they're, they see it as a worthwhile investment. So they're likely going to continue operating in the region, trying to facilitate these kinds of attacks and operations. And it also highlights the importance of having a strong security culture awareness throughout an organization, right? So... You can have as many uh, technical safeguards uh, to prevent and mitigate against attacks, but your organization is only going to be as secure as the people that work within it. So it's really important to be able to recognize these uh, social engineering lures 
So being able to pick out what seems slightly off about an email or a correspondence that you receive and being able to identify that before they're able to cause any kind of significant damage. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I've heard a lot of people on in the kind of InfoSec community be talking about, we've gotten pretty good at defending against uh, technical threats, right? I mean, we, we do a lot of malware analysis. We do a lot of email um, you know, prevention, or I should say spam prevention, but there's always the human element and that's always what's being exploited in these kind of bigger attacks. That's the one constant that continues to pop up. Yeah, and things like email filtering can help against some of these social engineering attacks, but the really sophisticated ones and the, the threat actors that are very persistent are gonna find ways to get around that to get to try to exploit that human element. I think that's a really good point um, you just picked up on there. So no matter how secure your, your systems can be, unfortunately, the human, we're, we're always going to be inherently curious to open emails and click on links and things. So your education that you give to your employees is probably the most critical part of this. All right, cool. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for that quick rundown. Um, let's move on to the other stories for this week, and I'll, I'll give Phil some some talking time. So, Phil, why don't you... Uh, discuss with us what was going on with TA505 this week. Yeah, so TA505 were uh, identified distributing um, a malware through the finance and retail sectors. And that was going on from November uh, to December 2018. So this was in three new phishing campaigns. So there were two different malware identified in that. One was a new one called Serve Helper, uh, which is both a backdoor and a downloader. And then Flawed Grace, which is a, a remote access Trojan. So all three campaigns use social engineering in some sort of form, uh, typically through Microsoft applications like Word, Note, this sort of thing. Uh, and the tactics and procedures, they're all in line with their previous activity. So this incident uh, purely highlights, again, the ever want and need for threat groups to enhance their capability through new developments in malware um, and always updating their, their sophistication and their tools. So TA505, they're typically a financially motivated group. Uh, so they've, all, they've been around since about 2014, and they substantially use spam campaigns and social engineering to deliver their payloads. And they've been responsible for publicizing and influencing the attention of, of numerous uh, remote access Trojans and malware. So the likes of T-Rat, Flawed Amy, uh, Globe Imposter was another one. And they also used the Necos botnet. So that was identified as well. There's pretty little public reporting on who they are, how big the group is, where they're from. Uh, but some have started to try to piece together sort of the attack time scales um, as an attribution, as they typically coincide with the Russian Orthodox holidays. But I think a lot more would need to be done to to make that attribution confirmed. Yeah, I think I think they're an interesting uh, threat group. So we've seen them pop up, um, you know, fairly recently within the last few months, and they kind of just they've been around for a long time. I mean, people have been kind of tracking them for for a while now. But again, like you say, there's not too much confirmed. Um, public reporting on it. So I think it's an interesting kind of group to continue to exist within the the landscape. Yeah, definitely. They've, they've been continuously active as well, which is something that we don't often see with, um, or is a bit is a bit rarer in, in these sorts of groups. They sometimes fluctuate or they might have a different annual or biannual uh, peak in activity. But TA505 seem to be consistent in, in, in their activity. All right. So then moving on, a two-year DNS hijacking campaign has been identified and linked with nation-state threat actors in Iran. Uh, Phil, do you know any more about this? Yeah, so the incident has reportedly been going on, as you say, for the last two years. Um, so between January 2017 to now, uh, to harvest targeted name, uh, usernames, passwords, domain credentials, this sort of thing. 
So it uses um, a, a tactic called DNS hijacking. So it's a method that threat actors can use to redirect internet traffic. So typically to malicious domains controlled by the attacker and it compromises how the server looks up the domain name. So the attack has affected telecommunications, government and ISP sectors. So in the likes of the MENA, Europe and North American regions. And there, as you say, there's speculation that the attack is coming from an actor directly linked to the Iranian government as it targeted entities aligned with typical geopolitical interests from those regions. So these attacks can be typically mitigated through the use of SSL, uh, trusted SSL certificates or using multi-factor authentication on the domain administrations. All right, thanks for that, Phil. And then finally wrapping up this week, Alex, there's some more ransomware stuff going on with smaller city governments. What's going on there? So this time it was the city of Del Rio in Texas. They reported that they were affected by a ransomware attack in January. So this is among the many that we've seen in recent months. So these ransomware attacks that are targeting these small to medium-sized city governments, primarily in the U.S. For this one in Del Rio, the staff resorted to, to manual processes, so they had to use pen and paper, and they didn't have access to any historical records or anything like that. And so what the city government did was that they disabled um, the internet within the organization to prevent any further attacks, and they made sure that their employees weren't able to log into any of the systems, just in case that they were affected. So they didn't specify if it actually caused any damage in terms of data exfiltration or if any of their data was lost. But judging by the, the report and the advisory, um, I don't think that it had a significant impact other than making them use pen and paper. And so this is, again, we've seen quite a few attacks of similar nature in recent months. Instead of you know, targeting large, city, which, large cities, which might have really sophisticated uh, defenses, uh, threat actors are going after these smaller, smaller sized governments, which they might perceive as being less secure and therefore more vulnerable to these sorts of attacks. Yeah. And did they say which ransomware it was or no? So they didn't specify what ransomware it was. They didn't give too many details. Uh, but notably with this one is that so usually these ransomware attacks will have a cryptocurrency wallet to send the funds to. But this one also had a telephone number that they could call to make the payment, which was unusual and that stood out to me. Hmm. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I think also, like the reason I ask what, uh, what kind of ransomware it was, you know, we recently, probably a month or two ago, we did a big in some about this kind of phenomenon of uh, ransomware attacking sort of smaller city governments in, in the US. And, you know, a lot of it was uh, SamSam. And then, you know, just probably, what, three week, three or four weeks ago, we had the SamSam indictments come out. And, you know, it'd be really interesting to see if this was SamSam, which would maybe indicate that SamSam is going to stick around even after their operators have been kind of indicted and called out. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely one to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, for sure. Also, like with the with the SamSam indictment, it might open a little niche market for other people to start flooding through. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's definitely a great point. All right. So coming to a close for this week, if you want to download the full intelligence summary, go to resources.digitalshadows.com. Uh, subscribe to Shadow Talk on iTunes or wherever you listen. I noticed that we have a lot of overcast listeners. So if you are one of those listeners, then please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Digital Shadows and tweet at us using the hashtag Shadow Talk and submit your questions or any feedback that you may have. This is kind of the section of the show that will that we do a and a so uh, I, may, I might read out a question that you submit on, on the next podcast. Uh, so this week's question, 
Are you ready for this, Alex? I am very ready. Are you ready, Phil? I am. I am. So ready. All right. So this week, if you could rid the world of one cyber threat forever, what would it be? Ooh. <laughs> that was a good question. I know. That's why, that's why I posed it. <laughs> So for me, I think inadvertent data exposure is one of the biggest uh, risks to organizations, and this affects all sectors, right? And even third-party suppliers. So we've seen a lot of examples where companies will leave these databases and servers publicly accessible. And so in the past, threat actors have even developed custom scripts to be able to search for and access these databases. And because of the variety of information that a lot of these uh, databases store, they can be of value to threat actors. All right, good. That's good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Phil, you got anything? So I think threat actors using open source pen testing tools, these sorts of things. So threat actors can usually get their hands on the likes of PowerShell Empire or any other penetration testing tool like the Veil framework and this sort of thing. And it really increases their capabilities. Plus, they're open source, so anyone can use them. Uh, and you've, we've seen this in the past where that's really accentuated their attacks. Ooh, yeah, that's a really good one. I like that one. Mm-hmm. So I think I think mine is going to be getting rid of all phishing. Uh, no, no more phishing. So no more email phishing. That would get rid of all of the social engineering stuff through email. If if that was gone, I think that would get rid of like ninety percent of attacks. Pretty good one. Yeah. So very broad. That's a good yeah. one. It is very broad, but. You know, it, this is my show, so I, I, you know, I can answer however I please. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> that will that will end it for this week. Thank you, guests. Thank you, listeners. Uh, thank you, threat actors who are trying to exploit uh, data leakage for keeping us in business. We'll talk to you next week.